As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. This morning, I'm signing one of the largest tax cuts in Wisconsin state history. A $4 billion budget surplus. Overall, the average Wisconsin middle-class family is going to see $1,000 in tax relief. And a $2 billion income tax cut. I get that there's a temptation to just throw money up in the air like your Oprah. Governor Evers signs a budget loaded with GOP tax relief. You really took credit for the good work that was done by the legislature. You know, that's ridiculous. But the battle isn't over. There is money left in the state coffers. From the Fox 6 Studios, this is Open Record. I'm Brian Polson here with Jenna Sachs. Hi, Jenna. Hi, Brian. So we are recording this episode Thursday, July 15th, and we have Fox 6 political reporter Jason Calvi on the podcast once again. Hi, Jason. Thanks for having me on, guys. It is raining money right now in Wisconsin. Governor Evers and the Wisconsin legislature have what I guess you could call a pretty good problem, how to divvy up a $4.4 billion budget surplus. Jason, the first question is, where did all of this extra money come from? So the $4.4 billion budget surplus, which the, the budget, the fiscal bureau, the nonpartisan legislative fiscal bureau said was unprecedented. It really comes from a number of elements. One is the fact that uh, they're getting stronger than expected tax collections. Now, of course, this, let me just be clear, this $4.4 billion is an estimated budget surplus. They're, they're looking at uh, the tax revenues that have already come into the state and they're saying, wow, this is a lot more than we, they forecasted back in January. Now, where think about it where were we in january with the pandemic the vaccines had just come out things were still kind of a little bit questionable about how how much businesses and, and the like would reopen now we're in the midst of the the bucks finals and we see 20,000 people gathering in the in the dare district every night so we can see that yeah Society in Wisconsin really has opened up in a, in a big way in the last few months. So all of these things that we're seeing at the state level are that the economy is opening up, that the tax money is coming in, um, and, and the state is saying, wow, we have a lot more tax money coming in than, than was ever expected back in January. And then as they look at the at the economic forecasts for the future, they're, they're also seeing that there are rosy, you know, really rosier than expected uh uh, predictions and forecasts for what's coming ahead in, in the economy, looking at all the different uh, data points that come in that they that they judge for uh, for you know what makes a good economy, and then they're also you know the 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 nonpartisan fiscal bureau is also uh, crediting the American Rescue Plan. So with this American Rescue Plan, there's billions of dollars coming into the state, and I'm sure we'll get into that in a little bit. But they're saying, listen, those stimulus checks, those fourteen hundred dollar uh, stimulus checks that came into people, the uh, increased unemployment benefits, uh, and also now of place starting today is the the uh, the child tax credit money that's coming to families in, in Wisconsin. And all of these things have, the Fiscal Bureau says, have helped stimulate the economy. And uh, so those are some of the things. And, and he actually, the, the, the 
the budget director there said the, the primary factor is the increased estimates because of the American Rescue Plan money. So all of these things are, are coming to the fore to create this $4.4 billion budget surplus, and that created a debate in Wisconsin is how should this money be spent? How, how should all of this billions of dollars be spent? And that has been the gist of the debate over the budget for the last few months. You know, Jason, there's been a lot of talking about tax cuts involved with this budget. There's some debate over who wants to take credit for it. But how will this affect the average person who might be listening? Right. So if you're the the numbers that the that the um, revenue uh, secretary suggested at the governor's signing of this budget was that the average taxpayer makes this average salary of $61,000 and that that person would see over the two-year budget cycle about 950, so about less than $1,000 um, income tax cut here based on what the governor did. With what, what this income tax cut does is it, it reduces uh, the largest uh, tax bracket, so that that percentage of money they're taking out of your paycheck is going to be a smaller percentage. So you'll see the average taxpayer, sixty-one thousand dollars salary, will see about a thousand dollars extra because of this tax cut. I don't, I don't mean to derail things for a second, but is that the average taxpayer's salary, or is that like an average household? And I only ask that because sixty-one thousand seems higher than I guess I would have thought was the average salary in Wisconsin. He, he, well, he, the the Secretary of Revenue said six. $61,000 is the average household, but he wasn't factoring in dependents. Uh, so 61000 is the average taxpayer. So that would be, yes, that would be a married couple as well. But if you have dependents on there, then the tax cut's actually going to be a little bit larger. You're going to go above $1,000 uh, tax cut over two years. So that's why he definitely suggested, he, he used the word household to refer to this average, but it is that average tax filers is the word without dependents. So Jason, we know the GOP was pushing for tax cuts. And then when Governor Evers signed the budget, he was celebrating those tax cuts to some extent. Who deserves credit here and how do they feel about hmm. the other side, you know, yeah. taking credit? <laughs> yeah, this is this was this was uh, you could see in some of the press releases that came out from the Republicans. They were they were pretty unhappy with with the governor, uh, pointing out that the governor's original budget proposal that he sent to the legislature early in in the year uh, would have actually raised taxes by a billion dollars, and that is again according to the state nonpartisan uh, fiscal bureau. So uh, definitely, his original budget would have raised taxes, uh, and so now they're saying, oh, he's taking credit for actually saying he he's cutting taxes. Uh, so Republicans definitely blasted him for for uh, taking credit for these for these tax cuts. But I, I asked the governor at, at his press conference at Whitefish Bay at Cumberland Elementary, where he signed this budget. And I said, uh, you know, you're getting criticized by Republicans for taking credit for this when you originally proposed increasing taxes by a billion dollars. And he said that was a ridiculous charge. And earlier he said, listen, I signed the budget. He could have vetoed it. So. He is, yeah, he's going to be taking credit for these income tax cuts. Uh, most of the people uh, in the state are going to see this income tax cut. And we're going into the 2022 election year where this state is going to have a fierce battle 
over the governor's race as well as the Senate race. And this is one of those places where the governor is going to be able to go out there and say he signed a, a ma what he's touting as one of Wisconsin's largest tax cuts in Wisconsin state history. So you're going to see him continue to tout that to people that he's he's making good on a campaign pledge to cut taxes for the middle class. And he's going to he's going to tout that across the state. Republicans are going to say, listen, if he had his way, he would have actually raised taxes. So that's going to be a battle you're probably going to see for the next year here in Wisconsin. There's always going to be that battle over politics when you've got, obviously, a, a Democrat governor and a Republican-controlled legislature. But I think it's sometimes easy to get lost in the weeds of that back and forth. When you step back here, it seems somewhat remarkable that with that much money on the table, we had a fairly quick agreement between the governor and the legislature on a budget. This isn't one of those cases where things are dragging out against some deadline and there's threats of shutdowns and other things. I know that's more of a federal issue when it comes to shutdowns, but still, we're not up against some deadline with concerns about how the state's going to fund things. They came to an agreement. Was that a surprise to some at how perhaps easily this came together? I think, you know, there was always debate about what was going to happen with with his his veto pen as far as he you know Wisconsin governor has one of the most powerful veto pens in the country using that, that partial veto to really in the past completely change parts of the budget so I, I don't think there was a question because there there really was a very a pressing issue for why the governor had to sign this budget and that is because if he would have vetoed this budget the state would have risked uh, more than two billion dollars that's with a b two billion dollars for Wisconsin schools because in order to qualify for uh, federal COVID relief money for those schools, the, the state has to increase their percentage uh, that's going to schools from what they had in the last budget cycle. If the governor did not sign this budget, which does get to that threshold, uh, then the state would not qualify for that more than two bill, two point six, I believe, two point six billion dollars for Wisconsin schools. And so at the end of the day, the governor said that this budget was was not perfect. It really let the state down in a number of ways. But at the end of the day, he said he had that obligation to sign the budget so that the state schools could receive that COVID cash from the federal government. Let's talk a bit more about schools. What are they getting from this budget? I know you did a story about this recently. What are lawmakers saying about what schools are getting and what are districts saying about it? Yes, yeah, so school funding really has the two biggest debates we've seen over this budget for the last few months have have all really been about the tax cuts and about about school funding. Now, there's a ton of other issues that we can talk about in the budget, the original budget proposal from the governor, which would have uh, allowed for the legalization of marijuana, would have expanded badger care. We can talk about all those issues later. But uh, when it came down to it, when you're looking at the $4.4 billion budget surplus, a lot of the debate centered on spending more money for schools versus the tax cuts. And Republicans said, this money, this surplus money, really, it, it's a surplus. People paid their taxes. They paid too much. And so they said they needed to send this money back to the people. Now, as far as the, the issue with school funding, uh, the schools have are getting, like I said, that 2.6, this is going to school, 2.6 billion, this is going to schools across the, uh, fe across the state from the federal government. And um, when Republicans said, what they were doing with funding, they, they kept getting pressure from the Democrats to increase school funding. And they said, listen, they're getting more cash than they, than they ever have because A, from the, the from this Wisconsin budget, but two, from the federal government with the, with the COVID relief money that's coming particularly for the schools. And what happened at the end of the day was, you know, they said, 
you know, this is going to be more more money than they've ever had. But when you talk to the school people, so I talked with uh, the treasurer of the school board for Elmbrook, and, and he was saying, well, that federal money can really only be used for COVID purposes. So, you know, things like upgrading their, um, they upgraded their ventilation systems, things like that, that could, could be uh could be used. And, and at the end of the day, he was saying that they're actually in Elmbrook, they're actually going to have a $4 million uh, shortfall over the next two year budget cycle because of inflation. So when they're when they're giving um, raises, for example, to their teachers, they're factoring in inflation, they're doing a cost of living uh, increases over the years. And because he says that this budget is really keeping the state level aid to them static for Elmbrook, they're not they're going to they're going to be short four million dollars over two years and they're going to have to cut that somehow because that money's not coming in. Well, well the governor uh did sign this this uh, budget with all of these tax cuts in, in place. Um, he did talk repeatedly about the need to give more money to schools. And one thing he did, you've talked about that coronavirus relief money from the federal government. He pulled a little bit more out of that. I say a little bit. It's it's funny when you start to talk numbers this big and $100 million is a little bit, that's a lot of money. But he actually added another $100 million to go to the, the state's schools. Um, can you talk a little bit about that and what that money will be used for? Yeah, so this is independent of the budget. You're right. It, the governor, under his authority, has control over the state portion of the COVID money coming in, independent of that school money we just talked about, independent of the federal COVID money going to the schools. This is money that goes to the state, and he can use that for various projects like economic recovery and helping small businesses and, and various investments. So at the school in, in Whitefish Bay, when he signed the budget, he did announce that he was going to use some of that COVID money coming to, to his coffers uh, to help schools. It'll be a $100 million program. And he says this could be used for mental health counseling for students. It could be used to hire teachers. It can be can be used for a number of things. And I know school districts, uh, administrators, superintendents are still waiting for guidance on exactly how they're going to be able to use that $100 million, how it'll be divvied up to schools across the state. But that will help uh, fill in some of this uh, shortfalls like we saw in Elmbrook, the $4 million shortfall. This could help school districts like that to 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 make up for some of the inflationary uh, uh, problems that they're, that they're citing. Uh, at the end of the day, though, there's also a big chunk of money that the governor still would like to see invested in to schools. Uh, using his partial veto pen, he uh, took 550 million, that's with an M, $550 million that was that the Republicans in the bu- budget would have sent to the rainy day fund. So think of that as sort of your savings account. So that money would have sat in the state savings account. Governor Evers using that partial veto actually scrapped that and put that $550 million into the general fund. So think of that as your checking account. So now that money is at play and he's making the pitch. He says he'd like to, over the next few weeks and months, urge the legislature to use that $550 million to do things like help schools, uh, economic recovery, other things. So he still sees that money at play. Uh, we asked Speaker Voss about this issue, and he said, well, uh, he doesn't think schools are going to get any more money. He says they're already getting more than enough. Uh, more than enough, more than enough money because of the federal aid, and then also because of the state budget. Uh, so he says, well, maybe he'll consider uh, another tax cut uh, using some of this five hundred and fifty million dollars that's uh, sitting there in the general fund, based on the governor's partial veto. Jason, I want to switch gears a little bit and hear about the plans for the I ninety four expansion. I've been at the station more than ten years now, and I remember covering that topic 
close to when I started here, so it's been in discussion for a long time. Does this budget include money for the I-94 expansion? Yeah, Jenna, thanks for bringing that up. That is, that is a huge, I mean, when you talk about budgets, I mean, this is this is where the budget hits the road, literally. I mean, this is this is it right here. Uh, so, according to current or previous to this budget, current law, in order for the expansion of I ninety four East West to take place, it would need explicit approval from the legislature. So, again, this is an issue, Jen, as you mentioned, has been debated for 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 as long as you've been at the station for many 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 years. Uh, and, and what it is, let's, the general plan here is to expand, uh, add lanes uh, on I-94 East-West from the Marquette to the zoo interchanges. So that's the, the, what, the, what the state says is one of the most dangerous sections of road in the state, uh, one of the most congested roads uh, in areas in the state. So they, they really feel like uh, it's time to, to put the investment there. Uh, back under the administration of Scott Walker, this plan really was brought to a halt because of the funding issue and and uh, worries about that, so so it ended up stopping under Scott Walker. But Governor Evers actually started you know started the process over again to to expand this stretch of, of highway, and uh, and Republicans in, and actually Governor Evers in his original budget proposal included this uh, expansion in in the budget, and and Republicans did sign off on that, and the governor signed that budget. So yes, the I ninety four East West expansion officially authorized because of this budget. It pumps. Uh, I think $40 million into studying and, and moving that forward. But again, that gives that explicit authorization, which is needed from the legislature to move forward with this long stalled uh, stretch of highway. And of course, this is a, an issue that's going to uh, play out in, in the 2022 because you saw lots of uh, pr groups from the left, on uh, the progressive side of things, trying to, to stop this. And you saw Milwaukee Democrats opposed for many years opposed to this expansion of the highway and uh, you know concerns over the environment and, and, and why not putting more money into uh, public transit and things like that. Uh, so, but the governor at the end of the day said this is this is a this is a project that will, and Republicans as well said this will a project that will help spur economic development in the area and, and lead to more jobs and, and really is is a long need for the state again that area really a, a bad stretch of of uh, dangerous uh, according to the state uh, one of the most dangerous areas and, and one of the most congested areas so really investing in that stretch of highway. Um, from the Marquette to the zoo interchanges on I-94. So Jason, last question before we go off the record. There's uh, all of this money that's been divvied up as part of this state budget in terms of, of tax relief and so on, but it's not over. There's talk of now potentially more tax cuts. Yeah, that's that's exactly right. It all it all comes down to this uh, to this. Well, there's actually two two potential tax cuts moving forward, but uh, one of those is the $550 million that's that the governor placed in the general fund as opposed to the rainy day fund. And he wants to see that money spent on schools and economic development and grants to, you know, helping small businesses and the like. Um, and Republicans said they don't want to see, they, they think schools are already getting more money. So Speaker Voss told Fox 6 that maybe potentially uh, some of that money would go to another round of tax cuts. So we'll see. I mean, that's really the early stages. As the governor said, this whole process of debating what to do with that $550 million is something he's going to be working on for weeks and months to come. So don't expect anything immediate on that particular issue. Um, but uh, but another issue we've got our eyes on 
uh, is a really complicated issue with tax law regarding uh, personal property for businesses. Right now, they, they're taxed on, on that. So things that they ha- have in their warehouse, like a forklift or, or office furniture, things like that, that they, they pay every year personal property taxes on. Uh, there is a bipartisan c- consensus. The governor said he would support uh, getting rid of this uh, property tax for businesses. and uh, But at the end of the day, he did veto a Republican proposal to do that. He, he said there were some flaws in that proposal that he wants to see worked out. I know business groups uh, were really upset with that veto, but uh, the governor did leave money in the budget, taking into account that this uh, tax cut will in the end happen. So it's just a matter of if Republicans and the governor can get the language right on this bill, it's definitely going to happen uh, because because uh, you see both sides really eager to get rid of that personal property tax, the governor leaving money in the budget to do it. It's just a matter of getting the text correct that both sides can be happy with and, and the governor can sign and the legislature can pass to get rid of that personal property tax for businesses. Well, it's an interesting time in, in uh, Wisconsin to, to steal Senator Chris Larson's soundbite from the open of this whole thing about uh, throwing money up in the air like you're Oprah. You get a tax cut, you get a tax cut, and you get a tax cut. It's, uh, I guess it's better than finding out uh, what kind of uh, tax increases there are going to be for a lot of Wisconsin taxpayers. That's as good a time as any for us to go off the record. This is the part of the podcast where we get a little more personal, have a little fun by answering a question we have not prepared for. And once again, here to ask us that question is Open Record Executive Producer Sarah Smith. Hey, Sarah. Hey, I thought for half a second you were going to call me Oprah because I know you just <laughs> talked about you were like joining us as Oprah. Oh, you mean Open Record. Okay, that's fine. I mean- I, you you want to be Oprah? I'm just glad. No. I'm happy to have tickets. <laughs> I mean, there are days. Okay. So uh, my question today is, you have one free hour each day. There's no responsibility. You don't have any domestic responsibilities, no work responsibilities, nothing. It's one hour to do whatever the heck you want. How do you use that hour? It can be any time of day. There's no like parameters here. It's just 60 minutes of time for you, how do you spend it? That's such a hard question. I'll, I'll, I know I, I, I'm, I I'm looking know. at Jenna because I know Jenna's probably thinking an hour free with no responsibility. Are you kidding me? With twins and a, and then a you know with three children all together, I, I I can't imagine there's a lot of that time for you, Jenna. And and, and I, I I can't really say there's a lot of that time for me. What, what's the question though for me is when you say one hour of free time, like. For me, if I get that hour of free time, and I'm not trying to sound like I'm some just, you know, I'm a real fitness guru, I'd probably try to go for a run or something or do something like because I find that I just don't have time to exercise as much as I'd like. And I used to be a lot better about it. And so that's one thing I think I would go to. But that still feels like work. So is that really kind of that use of that free time for like, oh, gosh, what would you do with that? I mean – I don't know. I'd like to say something like, ooh, I just read a book with a, you know, the beer or a glass of wine, but I don't think that's what I'd probably do. What's your answer, Sarah? Um, actually, if I had an hour of doing whatever I want, I would honestly be in the kitchen. I know it sounds dumb, but like, I love cooking. I love being in the kitchen. I love trying new things. I like doing recipes when I don't have like a time frame to be like, you have to get it done by dinner, six o'clock or the kids are going to be starving. So I would love to try a couple new things. Um, I just find that I'm really relaxed in the kitchen and that's just, that's really what I like to do. Um, I also like to eat. So there's that. But I, if I had just an hour to do whatever, I would tool with some new recipes and, I don't know, just be in the kitchen. That would be exciting. 
I was recently thinking about this because when you have young kids, there's a point where they stop going to bed on time. Like they used to always go to bed at 830 and I would have like an hour and a half to myself that I took for granted. And now I don't have that anymore because everybody's running out of their beds. So I used to have an hour to like veg out and actually watch something on TV or read a book or something. So the only time I have for myself, I usually go on a run. That's usually, that's, I mean, it's not an exciting answer, but it's the only thing I do for myself is I go for a run probably five days a week, slowly, but I do it and it makes me feel a lot better. Um, and then I guess I've been, re- I, if I have a little time, I'll read. I have a Kindle and um, I just keep rereading the same 10 books all over again. I just reread. Yeah, it's like it's like reading books to kids. You read the same five books over and well, over again. Well, I don't know about you guys, but I don't want to read anything that reminds me of work because I spend all day reading work. So I just reread all the Girl with the Dragon Tattoo books. Like I just, you know, I want to escape somewhere. So that's probably what I would do. What about you, Jason? Well, I, I definitely think that one of the things that having more kids is I, I haven't had the time to do is is weightlifting. I, I just, I used to just the thrill of, of, a, of a deadlift or, or just being able to pick the weight off the ground. And, and it, it, there's like, you feel like you're using your entire body to, to exercise and it, it's just such a thrill. Um, so I would definitely spend probably about, you know, half an hour doing some, some serious weightlifting. First, I'd have to get the basement cleaned up and install mm-hmm. the weights. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> But uh, in this ideal world, uh, that would be what I would like to do for, for some of the time. And then I, I also like both of, you know, as you've mentioned, uh, reading. I love to read, and I just feel like I don't have all the time in the world to do that. And so if I was on vacation, that's, you know, if you said, Jason, what's the best thing you could do on a vacation? It's like, let me just have some time to read. Uh, so I think reading, exercise, and, uh, and, and just, yeah, that would, that would be a great hour every day. You know, if you're what talking, would you like, read, Jason? Oh, that's a good question. Well, you know, I, I, I have to admit that I, I kind of read a lot on politics, so... Uh, <laughs> Shocking. <laughs> there's, there's, there's about a hundred... Not surprised. <laughs> it's kind of funny if you go to your public library and just look in the politics section. There's about a hundred books that have been written about the Trump presidency, which, uh, which are out there right now. So uh, just a lot, lot, lot of stuff to dissect and, and look at for, for, the past, uh, for the past administration, I think, are very interesting. If we were talking about adding, like, a 25th hour to the day that was, like, over and above <laughs> what's already there, I, you know, I would love to say, because, like, saying, like, I, I'd go for, we've all said these exercise things, like, we're all just dying to be these fitness well, you gurus. Got, no, 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 no. You guys all said well, okay. go for a <laughs> like, I was like, I I'm going to make food and <laughs> eat it. <laughs> But so but if I seventy five percent, I'd like to say I, I mean I'm a very social person, so going out and, and just like meeting friends out for a beer or something that was just social, we missed so much of that during the pandemic. That's one thing I would love to do. But the reality is, I talk about what I would do with this extra time, and I want to kick myself because I know the reality is I'd probably find myself like watching TikTok videos or Netflix or something. <laughs> I want to make it sound like I'd be this really great fitness buff or I'd really do something, you know, I'd spend more time with the kids, quality time, and I'd probably be just flipping through TikTok or Facebook or something like that. I don't want that to be the case, but if I'm being honest, that's the time suck, isn't it? Is is so much of what happens with our phones. It's important to unwind. I guess it's time to to read Neil Postman's book, Amusing Ourselves to Death. I, that was actually one of the books that I I, uh, I I listened to on audiobook. Kind of kind of ironically that, that in my profession, re- listening to that on audiobook. But uh, 
I think that's, you know, an interesting thing, you know, about what do we really want to do with our time and, and what, uh, what is the, the, the best use of our time? And I think this conversation helps us to put that all in perspective. But at the end of the day, it's so, it's so uh, tempting to just get on the phone and look at that when you've got those free minutes. And if you add them all up, man, we'd have, I'd have, I'd be working out for an hour a day. I'd have my, you know, Bible reading and, and all that and exercise going for a walk, man. You know what I'd do is I'd spend more time researching good podcast topics. <laughs> no, that's not true at all. All right. Well, hey, thanks, everybody. Jason, we know we've got to get you going out of here. I want to thank you again for joining us on the podcast and sharing all of your political insight. Thanks for, for being on again this morning. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. And uh, thanks to Jenna Sachs as well for another uh, appearance. I think we look forward to having you back next week on Open Record to talk about some of your latest Contact 6 reports. No problem. I look forward to it. If you have a question you'd like to submit for our off-the-record segment or a topic you want to suggest for the podcast, something you think we should investigate for Fox 6 News, send us an email to fox6investigators at fox.com. That is fox6investigators at fox.com. As always, thank you to people like, hey, executive producer Sarah Smith slash Oprah. Thanks for being on today. Hey. Of course, there's also producer Pete, Dave Machuda, Suzanne Barthel, and many others here at Fox 6 News. Please subscribe to Open Record if you haven't already. You can find it wherever you get your podcasts. With that, I'm Brian Polson. We'll be back again next week. Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader, like that car riding right your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on Auto Trader, too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader.